Well, welcome to Life Church. It's so great to see you. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to have you with us this weekend. And if you would take your Bible, if you would turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, if you have a Bible. And uh, we are beginning a brand new series this weekend uh, called Insignificant. And the idea behind it is that um, many times in life, we think it's the big changes or the big things that make a big difference. But the reality is, and Scripture backs this up, usually it's the little changes or the, what would seemingly be insignificant things that God chooses to use in our life to either teach us, to grow us, or to develop us. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about various small, insignificant things, changes, choices, actions, activities that we do in our life that have huge return. And so today I want to talk to you about this because I want to talk to you about the power of one thing. Can everybody say one thing? One thing. One thing. Good. All right. Got a good crowd. One thing. And uh, not about many things, but about one thing. You know, I'm, I'm one of these people that I'm constantly asking questions, I believe, in growing and as a leader, always learning and trying to grow and develop. And in my 20s, I found that a lot of things I would do would be sweeping changes. I'd go to a conference, I'd hear a talk on something, and I would just majorly reorient things in my life. And I'm growing and I'm developing, and I'm also at that point a, a young communicator, a young preacher, and they say it takes about seven years for you to define your voice. It takes about seven years for you to be able to find your voice. So I would try different things out. I know it may be hard for you to imagine, but I mean, I love black preachers, like black gospel, and I love all of that. And so, man, I'd have a double-breasted suit with, with black and white wingtips and a hanky, and I'd get my voice going like this, uh, and I would go, and I mean, it just wasn't me, right? I love it, but it just, it's not me, and... Um, and so, and, and you know, and then you try different things. I try to be really intellectual, and I found out I was confusing myself more. I was losing my place in my messages. I tried to manuscript my messages, and about an hour and 15 minutes into a message of preaching, I realized that wasn't the way for me to go. It just takes you a while to find your voice. And so young, early on, you, you, make, you make some major changes. That's probably no different than anybody in this room, your vocation that you're getting to. You learn how to do sales. You learn how to you know, uh, engineering, or you're learning how to grow, develop a business, whatever. And, um, but as you get along, somewhere in your late 20s, typically early 30s, the cement starts drying. And you kind of have a trajectory. You kind of have a pattern. You kind of have a way in which you're going. And from that point on, it's really not about sweeping changes. It's more about tweaks. It's more about small decisions, small activities, small disciplines in your life that can create huge momentum changes. The Bible says it like this in um, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 15. Solomon says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's not the big issues. It's not the devil showing up on your doorstep. Ding dong, I'm here. Are you ready to sin and give your life to me? Oh, yes, I worship you, Satan. We're, we're, it's not that we go and do that. It's these little insignificant choices or decisions that we make that all of a sudden accumulate into something that becomes big. Or it's these little bitty uh, choices or deci decisions, habits or, or whatever that create and kind of have this snowball effect. And the same way those can be negative in our life, they can also be incredibly powerful. You know, it's only one degree of temperature 
from 211 to 212 that water begins to boil. Just one degree makes a difference. It's one degree going the opposite direction that turns falling precipitation from water to snow, from having to watch it go down the drain of the city uh, sewer system to having to get out there and crank the snowblower up and, and, and blow the stuff off your driveway. Just one degree. One degree nautically, as you're, as you're charting a course on a boat, is very insignificant at the beginning. But over so many nautical miles can create this huge chasm in your life. Just one degree of difference. And so today, I, I want to talk to you, and I want, I want to just remind us of this biblical principle of one thing. And I want to ask you a question at the beginning. You can write this down if you want to. It's going to be on this, on, up on the screen here in a second. But what is the one thing that you could change or do that make a difference in your life? What's one thing, not two things, not three things, not the top five things, uh, one thing that you could do or change? Start doing, stop doing. Just one thing, not a big thing, one thing that you could do that would make a difference. Over the next 30 days, next 90 days, next 60 days, just one thing in your life. Because here's what I think happens. I think we all want to love God. I think we all want to serve God. I think we all want to live uh, uh, according to God's word. And we can go to church and we can kind of get psyched up if you want to. We can kind of get all jazzed about everything. And then we find ourselves by Tuesday or Wednesday, the wheels fall off and we become frustrated because we can't measure up. Because we're trying to do five things, or ten things, or twelve things, or twenty-five things, or so many things. And all of a sudden, we just kind of go, what's the use? And we talk to people who say, I've tried this before. It just doesn't work for me. What they were trying to do was be perfect. God never called us to be perfect. He's perfect, so we don't have to be perfect. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't, that we shouldn't try to be more like Jesus and try to grow and develop. But what I am saying is, is that many times we put this many thing mantra on our back like a backpack and carry it and God didn't call us to do that he called us to do one thing I'm going to prove it to you in scripture Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 through 14 you don't have to turn there if you want to but it's going to be on the screen Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 through 14 Paul the apostle speaks about this one thing this insignificant change that, that merits a huge huge return in your life he says this I thought things that like that were for my benefit, but now I consider them to be nothing because of Christ. Even more, I consider everything to be nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. To know Him is the best thing of all. Because of Him, I have lost everything. I consider all to be garbage so that I can know Christ. I want to be joined with Him. For me, being right with God doesn't come from the law, but it comes from a belief in Christ. It comes from God. It comes from, it's received by faith. I want to know Christ better. I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in, in, by the sharing of his death. Then by God's grace, I will be raised from the dead. I have not yet received all those things. I have not been yet made yet perfect, but I move on to take a hold of what Christ took a hold of for me. I want you to stop right there. He's given a whole lot of stuff in those, in those verses preceding verse 13. He's talked about the law. He's talked about the divinity of Jesus Christ. He's talked about sanctification. He's talked about justification. I mean, there is a litany of lists. And basically, those are all the things that he's talking about. Look what he says in verse, thing, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have taken hold of it yet. What? All the things. But there is but one thing I do. Not all the things, one thing. I forget what's up behind me, and I push towards what is ahead of me. 
I forget what's behind me. I push towards what's ahead of me. And I move on toward the goal to win the prize that God has appointed me to win it, the heavenly prize, which is Jesus Christ himself. Paul basically says this, look, I let the past be the past, and I don't get involved in all these things. There's one thing that I do every day of my life. I get up every day of my life, and I put the past behind me, my successes and my failures, my good days and my bad days, my accomplishments, what I know, and the things that I've miserably failed at. And the one thing that I do every day is I look ahead towards the prize, which is Jesus. That's the only thing I do. The one thing I do to do that. Now, Paul's not alone in this, in this thinking, in this mindset. If you look at the book of Psalms, chapter 27, David, King David, talks about how all the things that come with being the leader of this nation of Israel, all of the intricacies, the wars, the enemies, the problems, uh, everything that's, that, that's just imminent uh, of danger and evil, and how he handles it. Verse 1, the Lord gives me light and he saves me. Why should I fear anyone? The Lord is my place of safety. Why should I be afraid? My enemies are evil. They will trip and fall. And when they attack me and they try to eat me alive, even if the armies attack me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if war breaks out against me, I will still trust in the Lord. That's a pretty heavy plate he's talking about. Paul's talking about his own theology, his own Christian walk. David's talking about leading the nation of Israel, leading God's people. Look what he says in verse 4. But I'm asking the Lord for only one thing. And here's what I want. I want to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to look at the beauty of the Lord and worship him in his temple. See, what made David successful wasn't his business acumen. It wasn't his ability to negotiate with his adversaries. It wasn't his ability to be able to, to destroy his, the, the, the opposing enemies and forces. The thing that made David successful was one thing. It was his heart for God. The Bible says in the book of Samuel that man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And the reason why God chose David was because David had a heart after God. And David was not perfect. He was far from perfect. When, 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 when um, Nathan the prophet comes in and he calls him for his sin of adultery, David drops to his knees in that moment. And he begins, we read the prayer that he prays in uh, uh, Psalm chapter 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And because of his broken and contrite spirit, God said, that's a man I can trust. He's not perfect. Can I just give you a parenthetical thought? God's not looking for you and I to be perfect. If we were candidates for being perfect, for being Jesus Christ himself, he wouldn't have sent his only son. We are not, but he is. We're flawed. We make mistakes. Our, our, our best attempts at perfection are rags in the sight of a holy God. But what he desires for us is to pursue him. That's what David did. And Jesus picks up this same train of thought, this one thing mentality, not many things, but one things, in an account of his own experience. And he tells it in Luke's gospel, chapter 10. It's two sisters. This is hilarious. I'm just telling you, if we could like, if Tyler Perry could make this into a movie, I'm just telling you, this is hilarious. Look at verse 38. Because you guys read this too sanctimoniously, all right? And Jesus and his disciples went on their way. They're just going along, right? And Jesus came to the village where there was a woman named Martha. And she welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary. Notice Mary didn't have a house. Mary was living with Martha. And Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was busy with all the things that had to be done. 
She came to Jesus and said, Lord, my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Three circles and a snap and a hip. All right? <laughs> Verse 41. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Verse 42. But the only one thing is needed. Say one thing. Come on, say it again. One thing. What Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, I want you to look at this. You have these two sisters. Martha is the one that's about everything. She's got the house. Notice they didn't say that they invited her into Mary and Martha's house. Jesus and the disciples came to Martha's house. Martha has it going on. I mean, like, she's on like Donkey Kong. And she is preparing and she's fixing. And Jesus and the disciples, 12 men. Think about this, ladies. You got your nice little house. Twelve men and Jesus come into the house. Can you just see this? Peter, get your feet off the table. I just cleaned that. Come on. Just, you remember your, my grandmother used to entertain people. She actually had, they, they, they had a restaurant for years. And she would wear this apron. And she'd have flour all on her hands. She'd be pushing her glasses up, canning stuff, doing all kinds of stuff. Be doing, Lord, it's hot up in here. And, and just, I mean, just, and Martha is that woman, right? I mean, she is. And she's in there. And she's going, hey, Thomas, the bathroom's the second door on the left. All right, Jesus, we're going to have some fried chicken, some mashed potatoes and gravy. Because that's what they had in the New Testament. You realize that. That will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. Good. And so she's got it going on. I mean, that grease is hot and things are going. It's hot in the kitchen. And she's in there and she's making it happen. And she's got flour and everything going everywhere. And, and, and she's hearing Jesus speak. I'm excited. The Lord's at my house. He's getting everything here. getting everything. So we've got everything nice and clean, everything else. Peter, get your feet off that table. Thank you. And she's going to do her business. And she'll come in for a minute. Oh, no, no. I'm busy doing many things. Right? Because that's what the Bible says. And notice she's not doing anything sinful or wrong. She's preparing a meal for Jesus Christ and the disciples. How much more holy can you get? And in all of this, she gets mad and frustrated. Jesus, can I see you for a moment in the kitchen, please? Thank you. You've, you've been there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what's about to come down. And she said, listen, Lord, I know you're God incarnate and all that kind of stuff. Born of a virgin. God bless you. All right. And I get all that. But I need to talk to you for a minute. My sister Mary. Notice. Her name ain't on the rent. I'm paying the bills. I'm cooking the chicken. Taking care of everybody. Peter keeps putting his feet on the table, Lord. You're going to have to talk to him about that. And anyhow, and, um, and, I, and I got, I've got an issue here. And my issue is simply this. Um, my sister has left me to do all the work. Now, that's fine that she can sit there and talk to you and hear that. But I'd like to be in there too. But this chicken don't fry itself, Lord. You know how that is. And the grease is getting hot. And those biscuits are going to burn in the oven. Don't let the biscuits burn. You know what I'm talking about? Hallelujah. And, and so I just need some help. It's what she starts telling the Lord. And then she tells the Lord, you know, don't, don't you even care? See, she's talking to Jesus Christ here. The one that's going to die for the sins of humanity. This is the one that's going to raise her brother Lazarus from the dead. And about that point, she gets three circles and a snap and a hip. And she pushes them glasses up because she got flour all over, on her hands. And she said, you need to tell her, Lord, she needs to come here and help me. All right? You go do that, Jesus. That's what that story reads. We read like, oh, Lord. Would you please talk to my sister Mary? No, 
Folks, she is mad. She is ticked. She is hot. She's got 13 men in her house. Her sister isn't doing nothing to help her. And she's in there cooking and cleaning for all of them. And Peter won't get his feet off the dining room. You see what I'm saying? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, almost with a chuckle. Simmer down now. Let's bring it down a little bit. And he begins to address the issues and the problem with people that deal with many things. Do you know that's the issue? And, and the things that she's doing are good things. But, but you know, Jim Collins wrote a book, uh, a business book called the, uh, the, uh, Built to Last, Good to Great. And he said that the, that the enemy of, of, of any great company is good. And the enemy of any Christ follower is good, not godly. We can do a lot of good things as a church, but they're not what God calls us to do. We can do a lot of good things as people, but they're not what God asks us to do. We can be involved in many, 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 many things, but it's not what God's asked us to do. And we see this juxtaposition between these two sisters, Mary, who's about one thing, and Martha, who's about many things. And here's a problem when, and Jesus identifies this in verse 40 with Martha, that, that, that what happens when you become about many things, you become distracted. The Bible says she was busy with all things. How many of you know you can become busy with a lot of stuff? And they're good things. They're not bad things, but they're not godly things. They're not what God's asked us to do. But Lord, I'm serving here, and God, I'm doing this, and Lord, I'm doing this, and Lord, I'm giving here, and God, I'm doing this, and this is what I'm doing. And, and at some point, I just think God says, time out. Did I ask you to do all those things? Martha, did I ask you? I understand the chicken doesn't fry itself, Martha, but calm down. Did I ask you to do all of this? And what happens when we become busy is that we become distracted. And we get our eyes off the mission. We get our eyes off the one thing, forgetting the past and pressing forth. The one thing, wanting to be in the house of the Lord forever. The one thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus. The, the other thing that happens is you become depressed. She looks at Jesus and says, don't you even care? People that get involved, we get immersed with many, 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 many things. We cut all the margins out of our life, and what happens? We start believing like nobody cares. I'm going to go outside and eat worms. Nobody loves me. Everybody, everybody hates me. Bloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. Oh, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. It, it's just one of these deals of, I'm the only one working. I'm the only one doing the Lord's work. I'm the only one serving. I'm the only one on it. Oh, Oh, do you want a medal or a chest dependent on? I mean, what, what, what do you want? At that point, you become depressed. Then, then, then it goes to becoming critical. That's the next thing that happens. When you become busy with many things, you become very critical. She says, look, my sister's not doing anything, Lord. She's just sitting in there listening to you talk. Now think about that statement. They're not doing anything. Uh, what about, look at what I'm doing. Look at all the good things I'm doing. And this is the one thing she's doing. I'm doing many things. She's doing one thing. She becomes critical. It's easy to become critical. When you get immersed in many, many, many things. I wish, and I can hear some of you right now going, well, I mean, I wish I had your life. I mean, great. Your focus of one thing and your work and God, that's all like one whole deal together. And man, if I had your week, that'd be awesome. I wish you had my week this week. This week I fought City Hall and 
Monday night, and I did a funeral on Tuesday night, and I did a funeral on Saturday morning. And I mean, it, this is one of those weeks that, man, I just like to have an F-150 and just, just you know, the words of Rascal Flats, just get to where I can, you know, get out, out where I pass a couple of shacks and a few creeks, and nobody knows where I'm at, and the GPS is turned off. I mean, I just, this is one of those times. Because the reality is, is that if we're not all careful, we find ourselves in a situation where we become engrossed in many things, and we become distracted, we become depressed, we become critical, and then we become demanding. I mean, she becomes right, just downright demanding. Lord, you need to go tell her to do this. You need to go deal with this. Not that we'd ever do that with God, would we? God, you need to fix this. Lord, do you know about so-and-so? Lord, I just want to bring it to your attention. Do you know what so-and-so is doing? That's the problem with many things. That's what happens when the church becomes consumed with many things that are good things but not godly things. Do you know that as a local church, we're not called to do everything? Do you realize that during Jesus' three years of his earthly ministry, people died? And he didn't raise them from the dead. He only raised one. That was Lazarus and Jairus' daughter. There were people that were divorcing and he didn't heal every marriage. There was problems that were happening and he didn't heal every person that was sick. He healed many, but not all. Because here's the reality. God's not called us to fix everyone or to fix everything or to do everything. He's called us to do one thing. As a local church, we're not called to do 200 ministries. We're called to do what we're called to do. At Life Church, we want to make sure that we serve up the bread of life hot and fresh every weekend. So creatively communicating God's word. I think it's, I think it's a sin to have the church is boring. I just think it is. I, we, we're, we're here to reach students and children with the love of Jesus Christ. We're here to go around the corner, around the world through missions and outreach. And we're here to have a sense of community. Acts 2.42, where we love for one another, we care for one another, we rebuke one another, we train up one another, we challenge and encourage one another. We do that through small groups. That's what we do. And there's a lot of times people say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I'll say, those are good things, but they're not godly things for us. And there are times we get shot at sometimes, even from other churches. They go, well, they're just a, they're a mile wide and an inch deep. All they're about is winning people to Jesus. But what about come out from among them and be ye separate? What about purity? What about holiness? What about a holy huddle? And the problem with that mentality is, is that when I get to heaven, I'll understand it better by and by. I'll be able to theologize. I'll get to worship for a thousand years. But the one thing I will not be able to do when I get on the other side of eternity is see someone who's lost become found. Someone who's walking in darkness and sin have the life and the love of Jesus. Christ. So here's what I say. Jesus said that the great commission is to go in all the world and preach and teach the gospel to every living creature, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if that's the great commission, those are my marching orders, and I'm going to do that till he comes back. He didn't call me to be a church that had, that had this right and that right. I don't have all the answers. And, and, and honestly, the older I get, the fewer answers I have and the more questions that I have. And that's what happens. If we're not careful... We become busy with many things. And they're not bad, evil, sinful things, but they're many things instead of being focused on the one thing that God's called us to do. And so there becomes these distractions and this depression and there becomes this critical spirit and there becomes this demand that's made on God. And God's like, no, 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 no. This isn't the way it's designed to be. I've called you not to do many things, but to do one thing. I believe that there is a plan and a purpose for every person in this room. 
I believe that God has a calling on your life. It may be vocational in ministry. It may be marketplace ministry. But he's called all of us. And he's equipped all of us. And the good news is, is that we've got every single thing that we need. God has given us every single thing that we need in order to perform his word, in order to do his will. And the great exploits and the things that God has for us, he has given them the natural ability to go, but I'm just not that talented. But he's given you what you need to do what he's called you to do. And you've got to run your race. And you've got, to, you, you've got to stay in your lane. And you've got to do what he's called you to do. But he's called you to do something. And the key with that is focus. And if you become about many, 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 many things, you'll never accomplish the one thing that he's called you to do. If our church becomes about many, 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 many things, we'll never accomplish the one thing. And they may be good things, but they're not godly things. So how do you determine what the one thing is? Some of you may know what that is. And what I mean by this, too, let me say this, too, is that life is not static. It's not set. I don't achieve balance, and I live there for the rest of my life. We go through seasons. We go through times. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that there's a season and a time for everything. There's times of rejoicing. There's times of sadness. There's times of discipline. There's times of celebration. There's times of giving. There's times of receiving. There's times that are good. There are times that are bad. There are days that are bright and sunny, and there are days that are going to be snowy and cold. There are seasons and times for everything, and you have to know what season you're in. And depending upon what season you're in may be the, the, the one thing that you need to do for that season, the one focus that you need to have, the one tweak that you need to make, the one habit you need to break, or the one thing you need to begin doing. And only you really know that, but I encourage you. Let's look at this passage. And look, what was Mary doing that was so right that helped her do the one thing? Because that's what Jesus said. The one thing that she does, she's made the right choice. So the first thing is you have to be at the right place. Mary was at the feet of Jesus, verse 39 says. You have to be at the right place. And you may go, well, what do you mean? I'm just saying, you've got to find yourself at a place where you're at the right place. In order to get the right information, you have to be at the right place. And in, 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 in order to understand what you know, you've got to be at the right place. See, I think this is true of church. I mean, I think this is just something we probably is universal we can all, all understand. And that is, is that we all are all not called to go to the same church. And we're all not, uh, every church doesn't win everybody. And so I think going to where you go to church is a very personal thing. It's the reason why I don't, I'm not a hard sell kind of a guy. It's like, hey, if you want to be here, great. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, you know, we're called to do this. If this works for you, you're going to be attracted to the mission that we're called to do. And if you're not, then, then, then okay. Then we'll help you find another church because we're not competing with anybody except for the devil. And, uh, and so, uh, but you have to be at the right place. Second thing Mary did, she listened to the right voice. And again, this isn't rocket science, but the Bible says she was listening at the feet of Jesus. And the, word, the Greek word they're listening is an active word, which means she wasn't she was just hearing. She was digesting. She was, she was processing. She was making mental notes of here are changes and tweaks that I need to make to my life. Here's the one degree that I need to move this thing just right here. I need to stop this. I need to start this. I need to do. She's actively paying attention to what's being said. She's processing that information. I believe this. I believe the statement I'm about to make. If you live out the gospel that you get on, the, on the, the one service in the weekend, it's what you need. And I think sometimes we think, well, I just need to have more and more and more and more and more and more. You better be careful who you listen to. 
And I don't mean that you shouldn't listen to other people. I listen to all kinds of people. And, and I listen to all kinds of podcasts and all kinds of sermons. And I read all kinds of books. But you better be careful who you're listening to. You better be careful who's speaking into your life. You better be careful whose feet you're sitting at. Does that make sense? Because if not, you can get on the wrong path. If not, you can get squirrely in a hurry, especially in church world. I mean, we, there's a lot of fruits, flakes, and nuts. You know what I'm talking about? Seriously. We've got a lot of granola Christianity. And it's this whole deal. And, and if we're not careful... And so the thing is just to go, what does the word say? What does the word say? What does the, not what does this guy think? What does the word say? What does it say? Chapter and verse. Show me chapter and verse. Bring me back to what does it say? Who cares what Aaron says? Aaron's words will pass away. God's words will not. So what does the word say? And, you, and listening to that right voice. Because when you're at the right place and you're listening to the right voice, then you're able to go, okay, God, I know what it is that you want me to do. I know what the next step is. And I think a lot of times we think that's elusive. Like God wants us at something that's mystical. Like if I just... No, it's not. God is like speaking, saying, here's what I want you to do. God's not, it says in hide-and-go-seek time, right? This is the deal where God says, if you will seek me, you will find me. If you will ask, I will speak. If you'll knock, I'll open the door. I'm right here. I love what Jesus says of this, of his own self when he's on this earth. In the in Gospel of John, he says, I do what I see the Father doing. He would get up early of the morning spend time with the Lord in prayer and in devotion, and would begin to see and understand what God wanted so that as he was walking along doing what God was calling him to do, he knew the direction for his life. The Bible said that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. So, but the question is, are you at the feet of the shepherd? And are you listening to the shepherd? Because when you do that, then you'll know the perfect, pleasing will of God. That's what the word of God says of itself. And the last thing, verse 42, says that Mary made the right choice. And that's the key. You have, more, you have to choose. You have to make a decision. Here's the one thing. Here's what I've got to do. And Jesus says that Mary told Martha, and what Mary has chosen, the one thing is better than the many things you're doing. Because there's a way in our mind that says, I've got to do all these things. And God says, no, 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 no. Just one thing. Sit at my feet. Listen to my voice, and I'll guide and direct your path. You know, that's really simple. I wish life worked that way. Well, you can close your Bible and go out and do your many things and take what you need to take and do what you need to do in order to get through the day. Or you can cool your jets, quit frying the chicken, and just sit there and say, Maybe, just maybe, I don't need to be about many things. I just need to be about one thing. If Paul, who under the inspiration and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, wrote more of the New Testament than any other individual, practice this principle. And David, the man who led the nation of Israel, who had a heart after God. And Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, all agree that one thing is better than many things. Maybe, just maybe, they're right. And maybe the thing you need to do in the next 30 days, the next 60 days, the next 90 days, is not try to accomplish five things or ten things, but just one thing. Well, what is that, Pastor? I don't know. I know what it is for me. I know what the one thing is for me. Here's the one thing I need to focus on. Here's the one focus that I've got. It's what I call the baby in the crib. 
I teach this to the staff all the time. At Life Church, we have one baby at the crib at a time. We don't need two babies. Lord, help us. I need one baby at the crib at a time. That baby's got to be crying and clean and fed and up all night. I don't need two babies. I don't need three babies. I need one baby at the crib at a time. The staff knows the baby in the crib right now in the season of Life Church is hard for the house. Because as we see seats, God provides souls. The ministry will continue to grow and we'll be able to do more by doing that one thing than we will be by all the many things that we could try to do at the same time. Does that mean you stop everything else? No. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you could just say, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. No, 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 no. But it means my focus is on one thing. My focus, my gate is set on one thing. My, my, my mind's on one thing. What is that one thing for you? I challenge you. Don't get caught up trying to do many things, whether it's in your spiritual walk, in your business, in your family. Focus on one thing. The next 30 days, the next 60 days, the next 90 days. What if you just did one thing? What kind of difference would it make? One change. Not anything huge, just one thing. Don't, 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 don't try to be super Christian overnight. Just one thing. Maybe you just say, you know what? For the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, I'm just going to turn off the radio in the car. And I'm just going to take that time when I'm by myself to pray. And if I have some, a friend that's there that's unsaved, I'm going to witness to them. And if I have family that's there, then I'm just going to share that time talking to them. I'm, that's just the one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to have no radio in my car. No, you don't have to like physically take it out. Just turn it off. One thing. One thing. Father, I just thank you today for this principle. Lord, your word says that the yoke is easy and the burden is light. We're the ones that bring the add-ons. We're the ones that bring on all the options and all the gadgets and all the many, 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 many things. And more times than not, me, Aaron Cole, I find myself to be more like Martha and not enough like Mary. That I'm about many things. And I think in doing my many things that I'm making you happy and the reality is I'm just frustrating myself. I become distracted and depressed and critical and demanding. When you've called me just to one thing. So I pray, help us, Lord. The next 30 days, next 60 days, the next 90 days. What's the one thing? Not the many things, not the two things, not the five things, not the ten things, but the one thing that we need to do. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.